0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Moving on. Welcome to Harvest, guys. Thank you. We're family Christ followers. The Lord's brought us together. We're stronger together than we are individually, so we've chosen to link arms and accomplish God's purposes together. Guys, what is the vision of Harvest? Make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And what's our method? Community, discipleship, and outreach. I'm excited we're in this series called "The Life of Worship. And, and guys, I'm, um, I'm going to move quickly today. Uh, I already talk too fast as it is sometimes. Bear with me. But um, we've been talking about this. That worship is not a, a 20 or 30 or 40 minute period during a service. That might be an expression of worship, but hopefully it's one of the smallest facets of worship in your life because worship is so much more, so much more than that. We got to learn to not be worshipers on the weekend. We got to learn to be worshipers 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because worship isn't so much something we do. Worshipper is who you are. It's who God created you to be. We talked about, the the real fast recap, we talked about worshipers live a life of uplifted hands, representing our surrender to Christ and our victory in Christ. We talked about worshipers live a life of generosity. Love gives. Jesus demonstrated it. Love loves to give. Worshipers live a life with their heart poured out. We worship, we live our life from a place of honesty and transparency and sincerity before God. Worshipers live a life bowed down, understanding when we understand who he is and what he's done, we'll, we'll, we'll come to the understanding that our only reason, reasonable service is to bow our life before him. Worshippers live a life of excellence because excellence sets you apart. It's the denial of the flesh. It's driven by love and it's ultimately a choice. And the last way we talked about, worshipers live a life that is true. What is God searching for? Is he searching for worshipers? He's searching for true worshipers. Isn't that what it said? True worshipers. We worship with reverence and with awe. We worship with abandon and we worship with intimacy. And so continuing on, why do we worship? Why do we worship? Well, the first thing I would say is declare our love for the one who first loved us, right? And here's the thing. You can follow along in your notes, follow along in your Bible if you have one. You can use the Version Bible app. But John 13, 35 says, listen, this is the words of Jesus. He says, I'm about to tell you something. And what I'm about to tell you, he says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. What is it if you have love for one another? All men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The Passion Translation says, for when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by, de- by loving another one, one another, everyone will know you're my true followers. Guys, this is tough a little bit because this is where You know, we like to say in our culture today, well, the Bible says don't judge, brother, right? Don't judge. But is this not a little bit of a judgment right here? We can look at somebody's, what this says, by how they love those around them and determine whether they're a follower of Christ, so I mean, For instance, have you ever met somebody and you, you only had a few minutes of interaction with them, but you walked away just because of their kindness and because of their smile and because of their heart, you inside thought, I'll bet they're a believer. You've done that before, haven't you? You're making a judgment based on their love for those around them, correct? So Jesus said, the way that you show love to people The way way you show people your love for God is by loving others. I find it interesting. Jesus said said people, he didn't say people will know that you're mine because of your love for me. They'll know that you're mine because of your love for them. It's a little more difficult. Many times we would say, oh, I love God. Oh, it's easy to love God. Jesus died on the cross. I love God. But when he says, yeah, prove it by loving others. My family, that neighbor, that, you know, ugh, yikes, a little more difficult. And how many of you know that God knew that it would be difficult sometimes? When Jesus wrote this, when he said this, he knew that it was going to be difficult sometimes, didn't he? And he, and he knows we, we're in human flesh. He knows we're not going to live this out with perfection. So he lived the example, right? He lived it out. And I think as we look at it, as we learn more about Jesus' character, we can apply the truth of what we see in him to our own lives. He loves us, and he loved us first. The Bible says that when we were still wallowing in our sin, Jesus died for us, right? He made the first move. For God so loved the world, by the way, that doesn't just mean you, right? Right? That means every human being that will walk the face of the earth. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to die for us, to, to die for our sin, to redeem us, to restore us. That is love. He says when we love others, we are obeying him and we are honoring him and we are worshiping him through our display of love for those around us. So when we love, when we forgive When we serve, when we speak kindly to, when we're generous to others, we are worshiping and honoring God. It's part of our true worship to the Lord. Why do we do this? We can do it because he first loved us, even when we were completely unlovable. How many of you know you have been unlovable before? So today I want to talk about the next one in this is worshipers live a life of extravagant love. Worshippers live a life of extravagant love. We love extravagantly because we have been loved extravagantly. So what does this look like? So I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you three things. I just want to look at the example of Jesus for a few minutes, and I want us to go through this and see how Jesus loved and. And, and, and so three thoughts about our worship expression of extravagant love, okay? So first thing, number one, extravagant love forgives. Extravagant love forgives. We know that we are to forgive. We know that we're commanded to forgive, amen? How many of you have had a, some point in your life where it was very difficult, very difficult to forgive? You struggled through this. Um, what do we do, you know, when moments come that we we just don't know how to offer forgiveness? Any of you ever been there? You know, there's a lot of things going on in our world right now. Even just here in the Memphis metro area, the things that we've seen happen in recent weeks. There are many people that are expressing hatred for the instigators of these things. As a man who spent four or five hours shooting up our town. What about the 30-year-old kindergarten teacher at a Christian school? A mother was pulled off the street by a convicted rapist and kidnapper. And who knows the atrocious things that happened to her before she was beaten to death and found naked in the mud behind a house. Can you imagine her family, her Christian family, walking this out right now? Could you imagine walking up to him and saying, well, the Bible says you got to forgive, brother. Right? How do you forgive what seems unforgivable? Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says, you guys know this. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. You're saying, "Well, I don't want to forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. No, I don't. But what I do know, in the midst of anger, is that even this man, what was his name, Cleotha Abston, who's been convicted of this murder of Eliza Fletcher, Jesus died for him, and he loves him desperately." Desperately. Amen? How can you forgive someone that does something unforgivable? Well, I want to start in Luke 23. Sorry, not to bring a big downer here, guys. Let's lift it up a little bit. Let's smile at one another. In Luke 23, we see this amazing display of forgiveness from Jesus as he's on the cross. Now, guys, remember, Jesus is completely innocent. He's never, ever ever sinned, and here he finds himself hanging on a cross in unimaginable pain between two common criminals. And so in Luke 23, verse 30, these next couple few verses I'm going to read to you from the Passion translations. You've heard these verses hundreds of times. It says, two criminals were led away with Jesus, and all three were to be executed together. And when they came to the place that is known as the skull, Golgotha, the guards crucified Jesus nailing him on the center cross between the two criminals. I think when we read this, we've read this so many times in our lives, I think we don't have a, many times a full understanding on exactly what is happening here in this moment on the cross. And we've seen the movies and, and, and the, the, the plays and the passion plays and all these different things of, of the, the crucifixion, the burial, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But I don't know if we have a proper understanding of this moment, what this looked like in this moment. You know, and whenever we watch a movie or something, we see, we see the crucifixion scene and they're all up on the cross and everybody's looking up high and the sun's shining behind them and people are knelt down weeping and, and you know, and all, this, all these things. But in reality, guys, you know, you all know the cross was meant to to bring extreme torture right um, It was meant to bring extreme uh, humiliation and and actually crucifixion i believe crucifixion was actually considered a, a, um, a an expensive form of crucifixion of, of execution I mean, it was, There were easier ways to take care of them right quick. This required uh, labor and materials and manpower, and it was reserved for only the worst of the worst criminals. We know that they would take them to the place of crucifixion. And actually, it was meant to be an example Many, they would do it in a very public place. How many of you remember? I remember back in the day the movie Spartacus, where they execute them along the what was it the Appian Way, I think, along the road on either side, because it, they, it was an example. You don't you don't mess with Rome, right? And so they would lead them to the place of crucifixion, and that you had two beams. We always see them carrying the, the full cross, but but generally it was it was one beam that they would carry that was up to 120 pounds, and it was called the. Um, it was the, sti- Wait, the stipes and the patibulum, I think. And, and they would carry that to place of crucifixion. And then they would, put, and they would strip them naked. This was about humiliation as well. And then they would put sti- spikes through their wrist into that beam. And then they would pick that beam up, dragging them by their wrists, and put it up on top of the other, attach those together, and then put one nail through the bones of their two feet down there. Also, we always see them all up high. Generally, it's, it's agreed upon that um, their feet were almost touching the ground. That's why people could walk up and mock them and spit on them, could spit in their face, because they were, they were almost on the ground. They, they, they were one step down from being able to touch the ground. In order to breathe, because they had been dragged up by their arms, they were stretched out so far, it pulled up on their diaphragm, and they couldn't breathe. So in order to breathe, they had to pivot on that nail between their feet, and they had to push up on it to get a breath to suck in. It was actually death by suffocation. They had perfected this. They got it from the Syrians. The Syrians were trying to come up with a way to to execute people and make it as as long and painful as possible. They started by laying people down and putting a rod in their backside all the way up their spine and putting it in the ground so the feet were on the ground. And they realized they were dying too quickly. The Romans learned from it and they perfected it in, in crucifixion. So they'd have to push up to breathe. And people would come up and mock them and spit on them. They were generally eye to eye with them. That's what's going on with Jesus. They're spitting on him. They're mocking him. One of the criminals says, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. And in this moment when the creation people were at their absolute worst, we see the creator who prays the most amazing prayer in a moment, right? And if you go down to verse 34. He says, it says, while they were nailing Jesus to the cross, He prayed over and over again, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. (sighs) Jesus asking forgiveness for what seems unforgivable in a moment. How many of you agree we've all been wounded and we've all been hurt and we've all been devastated? People abused you, took advantage of you, betrayed you, gossiped, lied, cheated. Maybe your spouse betrayed you. Maybe someone who calls himself a Christian didn't act very Christ-like toward you. Maybe a church you went to did something that devastated you, whether they knew it or not. Maybe somebody gossiped about you and said something that wasn't true. Maybe your boss didn't appreciate you and you didn't get the promotion or you lost your job and it seems totally unfair. For some of you, maybe a parent hurt you Or abandon you. Some of you, I I know plenty of people that are holding a grudge against somebody that's not even alive. I knew somebody one time whose brother took their life and she said, I will never forgive him, never. It's like, he's dead. You're gonna hold bitterness and a grudge? How long? Some of you are mad at yourself. You did something and you haven't forgiven yourself. Love forgives. So how do we forgive like Jesus? Guys, and this is the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to forgive sinners, and he calls us, the forgiven, to also forgive, right? In fact, the Bible says for those people out there that are skeptical that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, they will know that we're his followers by our love for one another and our forgiveness that we offer so freely. So I'm going to give you two thoughts real quick before we go on to the next point. Two thoughts. What does Jesus say? How do we deal with unforgiveness? When, when we know we've got to forgive somebody, what do we do? And I'm, I'm, we're going to look at what Jesus did here. But the, the first thing I want to mention in this is we got to pray for those who hurt you. This is what Jesus did on the cross. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he's talking to the Jews and he said, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Jews have been taught this. Jesus says in verse 44, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. How many of you love praying for your enemies? Yeah, I'll pray for you. Pray you get hemorrhoids. Pray, (laughs) pray, right? Praying, right? (laughs) Yes, let's lighten the moment here just a little bit. I read a poem. I found a poem online. Listen to this. This poem says, so I listened to the preacher, so I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who've done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn Let the good Lord do his job and you just pray for them. So I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head just like I'd like to do. Just know wherever you are, honey, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) Right? Guys, when Jesus said, pray for those who hurt you, he was saying something revolutionary. He was saying something they'd never heard before. He's saying the exact opposite of what they had been taught their entire lives. That Jews had been taught an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, blood for blood, right? When somebody else wrongs you, You return it. It's what's right and what's fair. It's what the Jews had been taught. Today, they would say, somebody flips you off on the road, you gladly return it. God bless you too. Right? Does it not sound like our society today, though? Guys, we live in a culture today that is increasingly celebrating revenge. We have probably all at some point Clapped and applauded and got all happy when we saw somebody in a movie who got even. Yes, they were done so wrong and they got theirs. But that's not kingdom. That's not the kingdom we're of. The moment Jesus said, love and pray for those that hurt you, I'll bet you could have heard a pin drop in that room. They said, wait a minute, what did he say? Did he say what I thought he said? Because here's the deal. The Romans and the Greeks worshiped the God of revenge. It was a God. His name was Nemesis. And they worshiped him. They worshiped getting even. Jesus just turned the whole table upside down. Just like our culture, they embraced revenge. And so this statement was so shocking. I'll be honest with you. A few weeks ago, I was kind of surprised at all the responses I got from folks about this guy who did donuts in our back parking lot. And people were like, what's he going to do? How's he going to pay? What are we getting? And I was like, I invited him to come help us clean up if he wants to. And I told him I wanted to take him to lunch. People were like, it's not what I would have said. And I'm like, I think it's what Jesus would have said. I, you know? I, I, I told the dude straight up, I said, we don't want your money don't have any desire for it, right? I just feel like it's what Jesus would do. So who wronged you? Who hurt you? Who betrayed you? We got to follow the example of Jesus. We got to pray for him. Pray about the friend who lied about you, the boss who mistreated you, the parent who abandoned you, the friend who let you down. Why did Jesus teach this? Because right attitudes always precede right actions. Right attitudes always precede right actions. We pray for those who hurt us. If you wait until you feel like it, Jesus will have come back. Yeah. Right? You start by doing something right. You start by doing it right. Even if you've got to start, you start right here in your heart, your mind. Right? Start to renew that mind. Eventually, right attitudes will lead to right actions. You start praying for them. If all you can do is pray, Lord, just do something. Do something in their life, God. If that's all you can pray, you start there. You do what you got to do and your your heart will begin to change and you eventually begin to speak blessing over them and let God touch their life and and bless them, touch them in a significant way. Even if your prayer does not change them, it'll change you, right? So we got to pray for them. The second thing Jesus said here, second thing he teaches us is we got to choose to forgive as we've been forgiven. Colossians 3.13, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't, I, I don't know what you've been forgiven of in my life. I know what I've been forgiven of in my life, and I am eternally grateful. Eternally grateful. I don't know where you are right now, but I encourage you not to know, focus on the negative. Maybe you feel like your trust has been broken. Maybe you feel like you've been mistreated. You've been left out. You have been rejected. Maybe somebody has. Maybe you feel like your trust has been broken in your marriage. I think that's for somebody right now. Maybe you feel like your trust has been broken in your marriage. Maybe you feel like biblically you have the right to leave your spouse and divorce them. And maybe you do. You know what else you have the right to do? You also have the right to forgive. Right? Well, that's hard. Yeah, it is. But you've got one inside of you that can empower you to forgive what you can't do in your own strength. Right? See, in the flesh, we don't have what it takes to offer that kind of forgiveness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to forgive in the same way that we've been forgiven. And if you do that, great things will happen. Could be that God can restore your marriage even. Or no we got to choose to forgive so we've been forgiven. Don't hold on to bitterness. A quote I read, it said, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. All you're hurting is yourself, right? Well, I'm just not willing to let go. Well, then keep hurting yourself. I mean, (laughs) stop punching yourself. Stop punching yourself. Yeah. Right? How do we forgive the unforgivable? We choose to forgive as we've been forgiven. And at some point, You've got to make the choice, right? Choose to forgive. I may not feel like it, but I choose to do what God's word says. and I choose to run after it. I'm not going to be bitter. So as part of our worship, we choose to love extravagantly. Lord, help us. We choose to love extravagantly by choosing to forgive. Number two, extravagant love serves others. Extravagant love serves others. Y'all, y'all have heard the joke about the, the, the guy who gets sick and he goes to the hospital and they're checking him out and they do all this tests and stuff. And they come to the wife and say, you know, your husband, he's been in pretty rough shape, but I think we got him about taken care of. He's going to need like the next four to six months, no stress at all. Let him sit in his recliner, let him relax. You're going to have to take care of him, bring him, you know, bring him his food, help him get dressed, help, you know, help, help him go to the bathroom and all this stuff. But he's going to be fine. And she goes into the husband. He says, what would the doctor say? What would she respond with? Gonna You're going to die. <laughs> right? Right? I want to look for a minute at Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. In John chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. So it was just before the Passover meal. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. What are they doing? They're eating. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, guys, everything from Jesus had been leading to this moment. This was it. Tomorrow, he was going to die. Tomorrow, he's going to be crucified, right? And he's sitting there sharing a meal with his closest friends. Now, if you look at it, it had been a tough week for Jesus. On Monday, he had overturned the tables in the temple. And Tuesday, that kind of whole thing was followed by a big blow-up with the, with the religious leaders. We're not sure exactly what happened on Wednesday, but here he is Thursday. He's sitting around the table with the one who he knows about to betray him in just a moment. And we also know, according to Luke, that some of the other disciples are sitting there arguing over who's the greatest. And he probably has a certain amount of dread in his head, in his heart, for what's about to happen tonight and tomorrow. And he's sitting at the table looking around. So if you imagine him sitting there, what does he see as he looks around this table? As they're arguing over who's the greatest, here's the one sitting here that's about to betray him. He sees these proud hearts. And he also sees dirty feet, doesn't he? So Jesus looks around. He sees these dirty feet and he says, I can wash their feet. Something that everybody else would have thought was too low to be done. That was the servant's job, not the rabbi's job. And John chapter 13, verse four, it says, so Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What does he do? He gets up and he puts on a slave's apron and he gets down, and begins to do what nobody else would have been willing to do. I mean, imagine the, the queen of England, I guess it'd be the king now. No, nah, I'd rather think of Queen Elizabeth. Imagine Queen Elizabeth coming to your home and you're welcoming her like, oh, come in. You're know, straightening up things. Real quick. Queen Elizabeth coming in and she's like, I am here to clean your toilets. And you'd be like, what? What? Yes, I'm here to clean your toilet. You know what? Guys, this is so much such a bigger deal Because this is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, the Living Water, the Bread of Life, (laughs) our Redeemer, our Righteousness, Alpha and Omega, Beginning and End, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, puts on a slave's apron and bows down and begins to do a servant's job and wash the feet of his closest friends. He serves. I remember years ago, at, when we were living in Illinois, having this, um, uh, having this youth event, and I had a van load of kids I'm taking home afterwards. I remember it just snowed, and we pull up to this one guy's house, and he's getting out the van door, and I look, and, and the, oh, this older lady that lived next door was out there shoveling the snow in her driveway. And I said, hey, man, go help your neighbor shovel her drive right quick. And he looked back at me, he goes, what? He goes, I know her. She ain't going to pay me. And he slammed the door and went in. And I thought, oh, gosh. The example we can be. Guys, we got to begin to serve. We got to begin to meet needs, expecting nothing in return, doing it as a worship as unto the Lord. Guys, we have areas, we, we need people to serve here within the church family, much less outside. I remember years ago, we couldn't get enough people to work in the children's department. And we finally we had so many kids and we finally went to parents and said, hey, if you guys would all just sign up to serve in the children's department, you, you wouldn't have to do it more than like once every couple of months like nobody would do it well i'm not called to children's ministry i'm not called to watch kids well i guess you're calling somebody else to watch yours right it's like right it's like i'm not called to that i'll have to i'll have to pray on that you got to pray to serve you gotta pray it's kind of like we had I, i talked to a couple of people We've had a couple of young adults who have said stuff to me about, man, I love these stories, all these mission trips people did over the summer. I'd love, I so badly want to go on a mission trip. Well, do it, man. Go, I don't know. I don't think I'm called to missions. You're not called to go serve somebody for a week or two? Well, I got to pray on that one and see. You got to intercede and ask, uh, what else are you going to be doing? Well, I'm going to come home from college. It'll be summer vacation. So I'll probably just be living at my parents' house and working. You gotta pray, God. Can I take two weeks of my summer vacation and serve somebody? Can't, oh, please, God. Seriously? I love what dad always says. It, when, when, when it comes to serving the Lord, you always have a green light, unless on the rare occasion it's red. <laughs> the rare occasion, if there is something in your heart and you're wanting to serve, You don't generally have to get down and intercede over this thing. Probably he put the desire there in the first place. Check and see, do I feel a check about this? No? Cool, I'm going. I'm going to go serve these folks and show them the love of Jesus. Does that make sense? Moving on. You don't have to always have to pray about whether to serve people. Just do it unless on the rare occasion you feel the Lord, you know, a check about something in that. But what can you do? I love the youth. A few weeks ago, help clean up Mr. Ken and Miss Loretta's yard, you know, with all his medical issues he's believing through right now. Guys, help. Say yes. When somebody, somebody asks you to help them move, you know, yeah, everybody loves that. Oh, I'm glad I'm your friend this week. Woo. Good to help you move. Oh, you want to give me a piece of pizza? Awesome. Let's go. Yeah, let's, let's move. Guys, do it without the pizza. Help your friend move, right? <laughs> bring up somebody's trash can from the curb. <laughs> Bribing you a piece of it. Um, we, we forgot our trash can back several weeks ago. And I, I went I, on Monday. They pick it up on Monday morning. Uh, Tuesday, I realized I forgot and I, 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 to bring it back. And it was gone. And, and I, I was like, who got I, I know our kids didn't get the trash can back oh, from the curb. I went back to a camera and I looked. And I was like, our next door neighbor. And I was like, wow. I, next time I saw him, I was like, Dylan, thanks for bringing our trash can up. Bro. He goes, yeah, man, I just thought you normally have it up. I, saw, I went down to get mine and yours was there. I thought I'd just bring it up. Why not? Why wouldn't we? Yeah. Give a mom a break and watch your kid for a little while. <laughs> Mentor somebody. Serve at Rolling Hills this Saturday. Get up and do something. Guys, if you're part of the Harvest family and you're not serving somewhere here, I implore you serve yeah. Yeah. do your part don't expect other people to carry all the responsibility we're a family you need to expect more of your kids than that get up and serve guys and do have a glad and willing heart because you're doing it as a worship unto the Lord yeah. Yeah. right yeah. 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 by the way if you can walk you can be an usher <laughs> if you can smile you can be a greeter yeah. Yeah. not all you need to work in the children's department Some not you need to But guys, this is why I dislike it when I hear people say, well, for the last two years, we've visited 14 churches, and I just hadn't found one yet that meets my needs. And I'm like, I, I didn't know we were called to be spiritual consumers. I thought we were called to be spiritual contributors. I, 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 the church does not exist for you. It doesn't exist for me. The church exists for the world. We are the church. It's not a building. It's not a place where you're going to be served. Right? We're not looking for a church to meet our needs. We are the church, and we meet the needs of people in the name of Jesus. By the way, before I hit the last point, maybe, your gifts and talents aren't even about you. You may think that you have the most beautiful voice in the world. You just love to sing. It's not for you. You can't get the credit for it. You've got to give it to him. He didn't give you that so that you could boast in it. Right? If your heart is right, you won't need to be seen. If your heart is right, you won't need to be acknowledged. If your heart is right, you won't need to be paid. I've heard people say, well, I tried to do something nice for somebody, but they didn't even say thank you. And I'm just like, so that's why you did it. That was the motivation of your heart. You wanted to draw attention to yourself. You wanted credit. You wanted to be acknowledged. Then don't serve somebody. Don't do it if you're doing it for yourself. We're not doing it to get a return. We're not doing it to get acknowledged. We're not doing it to get a little thank you note in the mail. Guys, serving could change everything. You're looking to change your marriage? Start... <laughs> Stop being a consumer and become a contributor and begin to serve your spouse, right? You want to see change in your relationships? Begin to serve your friends and those around you. You want to bring fresh new meaning into your life? Begin to serve others. You want to have satisfaction for the first time in years? Begin to serve. You want to make a difference in the world? Serve. You want to glorify Jesus? Serve. What did Jesus say? He looked around the room, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Jesus saw dirty feet and said, I got that. Bent down to wash the feet. I'm going to keep going, guys. Number three, last one. Extravagant love communes with others. All right, guys, I'm trying to hit things here that are countercultural, if you can see that. We are not supposed to isolate ourselves or go it alone. Ever. Ever. Why did Jesus come? Well, well, we talk about how he, he came to seek and save the lost, right? He came to give his life a ransom for many, that we may live our life to the full. We have all these reasons that we would quote why Jesus came. But here's my question. How did he come? How did he come? Healing, preaching, teaching, whatever it may be. You know what Luke 734 says? Luke 734 said, the son of man has come eating and drinking. He's come eating and drinking. In fact, he was eating and drinking with such folks so much that they were accusing him of being a drunkard and a glutton. And I promise you, he was neither, right? This is how much he came eating and drinking. Some of y'all are like, I didn't know I had so much in common with Jesus. I like eating and drinking too, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, just like that. <laughs> we know why he came, but we don't think many times about how he came. And how he interacted with others. He came in community. Now think about this for a moment. Back in the day, eating meals was different than it is here. Back in the day in that culture, meals were more than something that you just enjoyed because food tasted good or just for the nutritional value of it. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's still that way in many ways places around the world today. You still go to Europe. I mean, a meal is a—dinner is a—it's a big deal. It's a, it's a presentation. It's not something that you rush. It's not something you do on the go. You don't get—fast food, you would be scoffed at. No. You know, this is something that we stop and, and, and we enjoy, not by ourselves either, with others. And so this is the way it was back then. Meals could last for hours back in Jesus' day. Meals were a time when you would invite people— people you loved, friends, family, and even the stranger you met on the street. It was an honor for somebody to come to the meal. And I'm talking every day, guys. This wasn't, oh, we're going to try and start doing this on Thursday night if our schedule allowed. Every night, meals were a big deal. Everybody gathering together and coming together to share these meals. And so, remember the night that Jesus was betrayed, What do we call the gathering of his closest friends? The Last Supper. It says they were sharing a meal together. He gathered together his best friends, closest friends, broke bread with them. They ate a meal. And literally, this is an image of something that we do to remember what Jesus did, right? We take the bread and the juice and we call it the Lord's Supper, right? Guys, this is community. So Acts chapter 2, Jesus is ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 2, we see the the coming days and weeks of the early church as they're beginning to gather together without Jesus. And y'all know this. I'm going to read it to you from the English Standard Version. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the what? The fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Guys, they were devoted to this. This was major to them. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all, everybody say all. all. All who believed were together. Doing what? Breaking bread, doing life together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Nobody needed anything because everybody was meeting their neighbor's need. And day by day, attending the temple together, everybody say together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Of course, the Lord added to the number day by day because he created us with a need for this. People were seeing this and going, I need that. I need what they have. Even if they hadn't heard the name of Jesus yet, they saw this tight knit community that loved each other and allowed and didn't allow another person in that community to lack for anything. And they supported one another, and they ate their meals together, and they worshiped together. And everybody was coming out of the woodwork, going, "I need that. I need that in my life." I was thinking, community, and our culture has changed a little bit, has it not? I was thinking how back in the day, I read a thing recently. It was talking about before the day of air conditioning, what would people do on a hot summer night? They'd go sit out on the porch. They'd go sit out on their porch with their neighbors and just talk and live life together. Remember, well, I don't remember 50 to 75 years ago, but 50 to 75 years ago, nobody fenced their yards. Neighbors came and went all the time. Some of you here can remember the days before texting and voicemail and answering machine. Some of y'all don't know what an answering machine is. What did you do when the phone rang? You answered it. Caller ID. What's caller ID? Phone rang. You wanted to answer it. Well, telemarketers got started, but anyway. Back in the day, you had to go shopping and you were going to see your neighbors and your friends and people in the store. And you were going to stop. and You were going to talk. And you weren't in so much of a hurry. And you would build relationship. Things have changed. Now I just shop online. so much easier, right? They're going to drop it at my door, drop it at my trunk. Awesome. I read this and I kind of edited and make it my own. I read it online uh, last week. But if Acts chapter 2 was written today, what would it say? Remember Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking bread, all that. What if that was written today? What would it say? The Christians were devoted to themselves and occasionally got to church when they had the time. No one was filled with awe awe, because there were no signs and wonders being performed by the believers as they were rarely assembled together. Very few of the believers were together and they had almost nothing in common because they had no real time for each other. If they sold something, they used that money to buy something better for themselves uh, uh, to compete with their neighbors. They ate on the run, they kept to themselves, and were too rushed to enjoy one another and, or give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they had no real love for each other, and they felt all empty and alone. As a result, most people disliked them, and very few were ever saved. Is that not where we live today? Yeah. If we're going to worship The Lord with extravagant love for others. Guess what? We gotta be around others. We gotta be all about community. Our culture worships independence. Some of you probably even said it before, well, I'm an independent person. Here's the problem, guys. Being a follower of Jesus is absolutely the opposite of independence. It's the exact opposite. To be a Christ follower, to be a Christian, is to be dependent. You cannot be a Christ follower and be independent. You can't save yourself. You can't make it yourself. To be a Christ follower means you are completely dependent upon the grace of God. You're dependent upon Jesus, and his presence. And I would argue we're dependent on one another because we're incomplete without one another. To be a follower of Jesus is to be dependent upon God and his people. Last thing I want to mention in this before I close. We must gather together, firstly and primarily, as the body of Christ. I've heard people say, well, brother, I do church online nowadays. I don't go to a church. I've heard people say, I watch preachers on TV. I've heard people say, well, i got a number of podcasts I listen to instead of going to church. I'm like, man, do not reduce your fellowship with believers and worship of God to a podcast or an internet connection. We can't do it. I am thankful for our live stream, but if you watch church online, never gathering in person, you will never get what God wants you to have. You can't. You can't. We were, guys. We were never told to listen to a podcast. We were never told to watch Christian television. We were never called to chase after a preacher. We were simply told to, to gather together. We were told to assemble together. There was a study, it was a pre-COVID study, okay? Pre-COVID study. The average American Christian, they found, attended church once every four to six weeks. Guys, that's less than one time a month. Pre-COVID, okay? I don't even know what to do with that. As I guarantee you, it's worse today. I thank the Lord you guys are here, right? I'm glad you see value in that. But this is something that we should be very concerned about. On average, people are spending one to two hours a month gathering together as the church. Most of us in this room are probably going to spend more time than that on social media today. Than the average American is spending in church in a month. Your life can't be transformed if that's all you'll offer the Lord, if that's all you'll give him. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is increasingly the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day draw near. Yes, this was early church days. They were gathering daily and it's saying you should be doing it all the more as the end approaches. We're doing it a fraction, the smallest fraction of what they were back then. We need each other. Well, I'm too busy. You make the time for what you make. You have the time for what you make the time for, right? And you prove what's important by what you make the time for in your life. It's as simple as that. It's a choice. What's the priority of your life? How many of you know we can do better? We can be better if we want to be better. Gathering at church on Sunday is great, but as I've told you guys before, if you got to choose, I'd rather you be a part of a small group community, be part of one of our community groups gathering together. There, that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to invest in others. That's where, that's where you will be missed if you're sick and you can't make it. Your community groups will call you. And they'll say, where are you? What's going on? Or you lose a loved one, they're going to be showing up at your door bringing you meals and helping take care of you, right? Acts chapter 2, day by day, they attended the temple together. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, having the favor of people, and the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. As every day, as an act of worship, we've got to show extravagant love in our world. The world is desperate for it if you haven't noticed. We've got to encourage our family to look each other in the eye, put your device down. At the table, put your device down, and let's talk eye to eye. And let's build community. Amen? Amen. We've got to remind our families. Showing love to others is how the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus. And this, my friends, is our witness. That love is our witness. It is the natural way that you will attract people and bring them into the family of God. By your obvious, extravagant love for them. It is your worship and your only reasonable service to him. We worship a life of extravagant love. Extravagant love forgives. Extravagant love serves others. Extravagant love communes with others. Amen? You f- feel challenged at all? It's time for a change. Let's stand up. I going to invite the worship team to come up. Lead us in one more song before we go here in a minute. Guys, I'm going to... Um, Yeah, let's just worship here for just a minute. I'm gonna let you go in just 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 a moment. Hang with us as we sing this chorus a few times. Let's let's bring the lights down and I want you guys to just press into this worshipful moment. I want you to ask the Lord what He's speaking to you today. We read Acts chapter two and and what this community of believers look like as they shared love for one another and it became contagious and it reached outside of that bubble and that community and that community grew. What does your life look like today? What does your expression of worship as extravagant love look like today? And I encourage you as we sing here for just a moment, I just want you to ask, Holy Spirit, how are you challenging me right now? Where's the areas? What's the areas that I need to shore up in my expression of extravagant love to those around me? And allow him to speak to you. And let me tell you if you don't sense his presence right now in this moment, just begin to reflect for a moment on his extravagant love for you. Think back to the worst, darkest thing you ever did that made you so ashamed. And then remember the price that was paid so that that thing could be wiped out and obliterated because of the love of Jesus. Gratitude will begin to swell within your heart and you'll begin to sense his presence. And then allow him to begin to deal with your own heart. Who is that person that you need to forgive right now? Who is that person that maybe you would never say it out of your mouth, but inside you have vowed not to forgive them because they hurt you too badly? Let him bring that up in your heart. Let him give you a glimpse of his love for them. Let him remind you of all that he's forgiven you of. And then you take that step and say, yes, Lord. And begin to do as Jesus did. Begin to pray for them. Amen. Maybe you need to quit being so isolated and independent. Maybe you need to serve more. You know. And the Holy Spirit will begin to speak those things to you. Let's just, I just encourage you guys, let's just lift our hands, sign of surrender to Him right now. And let's just sing this out and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord,